All right, everybody, welcome to this week's Learning the Tropes. I'm Erin. I'm Clayton. And I'm your roommate's novel veteran. And I'm the virgin. And we're your hosts. Hi, Clayton. Hey, Erin. It's been a while. We always, it seems to, I always seem to always <laughs> say that as soon as we start recording, but you've been traveling. I went to visit one of my best friends moved to Mexico pre-pandemic. Um, so I went down to visit her. Now she's in Mexico City. It was a whirlwind trip. It was crazy. Yes. <laughs> I oh. got my purse stolen day one, which is uh, more of a me not paying attention thing and not a Mexico specific, Mexico City specific thing. Um, but it was such a bummer. That is such a bummer to start your 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 holiday that way. Yeah, but that the I mean the rest of the trip was absolutely gorgeous. And we went up to this like I was telling you about this like little mountain town, Tepos, and you know saw beautiful architecture and it was it was it was great. But it was gone for eight days. That is, it feels like such a long time. I know. As I was there, I was like, oh wow, <laughs> this is a significant trip. But yes. she's also one of those friends, you know, that it's like. We don't see each other often, but then when we do, it's just like, um, you know. Bacchanalia. Basically. We're, we're just like back together. We have like a lot to discuss. We have a lot to do. And and so it's, you know, the eight days flew by. That's good and bad, I guess. Yeah. Um. But yeah, how what's, what's new with you? What's new here? Oh, you know, same old, same old. Uh, lot uh-huh. new roommate moving in today, uh, so a lot of stuff happening in the apartment. That's why this episode is coming to you guys a little bit late. Sorry about that, but yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. the episode is coming late because of me. My, <laughs> we were supposed to record uh, yesterday morning, Tuesday morning, um, and my flight was delayed, and I didn't get back to my apartment until four a.m. So the idea of recording at 8 a.m. was on – guys, I would have been brain dead. <laughs> it would Untrue. not have been a particularly good episode. Yeah, so that's why we're coming to you today. This is day of. This is the, the, the fastest turnaround I think we've ever had, and we cut it so close every time. <laughs> <laughs> we really need to start recording like a week ahead or get a buffer for ourselves, but we just refuse. We, we just, just like refuse. to live on, the, on life's knife's edge. We like to fly too close to the sun. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes stuff comes late, but we appreciate that. We appreciate your patience in advance, which is what I always like to put in emails when I'm telling somebody bad news. <laughs> yes, that's the that's the way to break it to them. Yeah. Um, do we have new pa- we have new Patreons? We do, we do, and we'd like to say thank you to Vanessa. Thank you for being a Patreon, a patron. I always do it. <laughs> Anne, thank you for being a patron. And Claire Nauman, thank you. You know Claire, Clayton. I do know Claire. We went to see The Lost City together. Yes, I do know Claire. Yes. <laughs> uh, Claire is in my writing group, and she's uh, really wonderful. And she kept asking me about Bridgerton opinions. And I was like, listen, that's in episode three and four. I'm like, you'll just wait. I'm like, we'll, we'll release it to the public. And next thing I knew, she had signed up for a Patreon. And she I was like, I love that, Claire. She, she couldn't, couldn't wait. Wait. So did I say her last name right? Because I I known, I met her as Claire because I didn't know her yeah. last name. 
Namen is how I say, but I actually don't, I don't think I've ever had her say her last name to me. So Claire, let me know. How do you say your last name? We've been friends for about a year now. Yeah, I should know. Yeah, she's, she's great. Uh, Lost City, we have not talked about, so we have to talk about it at some point, I feel like. Yes. I mean, Cliff's Notes is we loved it and it was amazing. Maybe when it comes out on VOD, we'll do an episode on it. That's perfect. You nailed it. Yeah. Because we watched it when we were in LA, but I was obsessed. Like, it, it, guys, it's so good. If it's still in theaters near you, run to it. It's the most, it's so fun. Yeah. Um, but I would need to watch it again, I think, before I could, like, actually <laughs> yes. talk about it in an intelligent way, other than, like, I just remember loving it. It was a packed so. theater. We went and saw it at the Grove. It was a, a euphoric experience. I do think since it was so close to the Paramount lot, there was a lot of Paramount employees seeing the film because there was a lot of Paramount previews beforehand and people were cheering for them. So yeah. it was just a really fun, <laughs> ready to be entertained crowd. And in the movie, yeah, I mean, you were cracking up. I was looking over to you and and Claire. You guys were loving it. I was loving it. Pat was loving it. It's for everybody. It really is a fun movie. It's also here's the great thing, guys. It's not overly long. Oh yes, perfect. Like the second that you're like, oh, I feel like this could wrap up now. I've had a good time. It's over. Which is mm-hmm. wonderful. So, yeah, we'll definitely we'll talk about the Lost City for sure. There's a few things out there. We're going to be talking about Starstruck season two, obviously. Mm-hmm. That's the other big thing. We're going to. I feel like we had a few other things. Anyway, we're finishing our Bridgerton episodes. Yes, and a note note on the release for those. So, uh, if anybody uh, people know by now, first one. The first two episode reviews have dropped on our main feed, and then the third and fourth episode review is on our Patreon. Now, that is going to be released to the public when we, after we release, okay. (laughs) So what we're basically doing (laughs) is when we drop, when we drop the new one on the main feed, the next one's going to go on Patreon for at least a week or so. Just It's just like to give the patrons some uh, content a little bit early. All the Bridgertons will be released on the main feed. We're not going to keep them behind a paywall. It's just a fun little staggering thing we decided to experiment with. So you will get all the Bridgerton on the main feed. No need to sign up for the Patreon. Patreon, but if you want to get the episodes early, then you're going to want to sign up for the Patreon. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, all right, guys. So, Clayton, what did we read this week? We read The Taming of Jesse Rose by Beverly Jenkins. Let's uh, judge this cover. And, guys, this is a great cover. And the reason we read this book was the cover. Okay, so yes, this cover is amazing. So it is a super buff Griffin, who is our hero, mm-hmm. and Jesse Rose Clayton <laughs> holding on to him from behind. And then off in the distance is a stallion that is rearing up in a very awesome way. And that made me choose this book so i chose this book because 
we we wanted to do Beverly Jenkins, and because uh, we'd done a Beverly Jenkins before, right? We had done Forbidden very early on. Yes. And so we wanted to do another one because we were very much in a historical mindset and a Western mindset. And so I chose this because this cover is amazing. We're always in a historical mindset. We're always in a Western mindset. Western is my favorite. Exactly. Yeah, Westerns are great and they're awesome. And yeah, what did you think of this cover? I mean, obviously. Gorgeous. I will say like after reading the book, like this doesn't. Jesse Rose is never shown as being like this feminine, no. you know? So this doesn't seem like the Jesse Rose of the book. I mean, he definitely seems like the Griffin. Um, well, he's not, he doesn't, he's not. It, oh, and he doesn't he, have red hair. He's not red-headed, yeah. yeah. And the big thing about him is that he has red hair. Yeah, so Snake Eyes looks like Snake Eyes. Yes. But, um, Snake Eyes being the horse. Is the horse, obviously, yeah, guys. Yeah. Um, it's and it's a stunning like arresting cover and Be- I will say Beverly Jenkins's covers are phenomenal. They yeah. always are so beautiful. We were going yeah. through because you sent me a few and I was like, oh, these covers. I mean, all of them are so awesome. So this is the one we chose. Yeah, I mean, it is a beautiful cover. It's it's so good. It's like an old fashioned clinch cover. I. Yeah, I think it's wonderful. And it's the only cover. I guess it was never re-released or anything. So, I mean, if if it's perfection, why try to improve upon it? You can't improve on it now. Yeah. So, Clayton, what was this book about? Okay, so this book was about Jesse Rose Clayton, whose father is killed during a a stampede or it's her father's killed because they they won't give up the land for the railroad. Mm-hmm. And Reed Darcy is the bad guy who is trying to get uh, the land. And Griffin Blake is our hero. And he was he was a guy that was sent to fight Re- Reed Darcy. And he's a criminal. He was a train robber. But he gets deputized in order to try to fight Reed and then Griffin at first comes and Jesse doesn't want anything to do with him but then he ingratiates himself especially with Jesse's nephew Joth and I'm not pronouncing that incorrectly it's J-O-T-H yeah Jotham Jotham and and that was Mildred who is Jesse's sister's kid and she died. And so they are a family and then they have to fight against Reed and his his minions. They bring in a few friends, old friends of Griffin, like the Terrible Twins and Preacher. Not the Preacher we know and love from Virgin River. And at the end of the day, in a very, very short uh, ending, very quick, abrupt ending... Reed dies, being thrown from Snake Eyes, which was the horse, and then they live happily ever after, Jesse and Griffin. And he becomes sheriff. He's elected sheriff. So that is the book. What did you think? Okay. I liked the central romance because I thought Griffin was really hot 
and seemed cool. Jesse was a tomboyish, so like I'm a sucker for women in men's clothes, like denim and stuff, like button up denim, denim shirts on a woman, like come on. So I like that. I like that central romance. I liked uh, some of the action going on. I liked that there was there was you know the the western type fights, like when Jesse punches Minerva was fun. When, you know, people are afraid of Griffin because of his uh, history as an outlaw. That was cool. I always like that trope of, oh, you don't know who this is? Oh, I'm getting out of here. This guy's bad news. Love that stuff. The problem with it is that, obviously, now this was written in 1999, which I think this, I didn't know this until right now because you did the show notes. This makes so much sense to me that this was written in 1999 because in this book, there are extensive historical, I guess, what, like history lessons, I guess, is the only way you could say it. And they, they, what they do is they break up the narrative in a way that halts the momentum. And that is something that as a reader in 2022 was frustrating, but I can understand why Beverly Jenkins did it at the time, because in 1999, a lot of the history that is being talked about in this was not being talked about in our country. And so I feel like she was very passionate and I don't want to speak for her. Obviously it feels like somebody she was, she did, research on this was so passionate about this history that she wanted to let people know. And I don't think she integrated it into the narrative in the best possible way. Yeah. I agree. I don't think it was integrated into the narrative at all. It was, I liked this book. I, I agree. Like I liked Jesse. I liked Joth. I like Griffin. I liked his friends. Like there were so many moments that were very good, but I do think it was kind of a mess narratively where we, yeah, we kept absolutely halting the story for these very long history lessons that were basically just like one character saying to the other character, who's this historical figure? And then mm-hmm. the other character going on for like four pages about like, this is what that person did. And it's interesting, you know, like I am interested in history, but it was just like, okay, none of that comes back to the story. There's no reason we need to like know about these. You know what I mean? Like sometimes, Mm -hmm. like normally when a character stops and just tells a story, it comes back or there's a reason for it. But this, it was just like, uh, Joff has has a paper to write. So he just goes around asking about various historical figures. I also understand you know, reading in context, 1999 was a very different time to now. And I can imagine how frustrating and annoying it must be to write about people of color, black people in the old West. And I'm sure in 1999, she had people being like, there was nobody there, which is like ridiculous, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, And so feeling like you need to defend that, like I get the impulse but I just look if we're if we're looking at it from like a story perspective, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Because I do think like 
I, I think there was a very good story here that you almost had to like excavate to like, if you brush off all of this nonsense, then we do get to a good story. It, it's a, it's a, it's, it's so much more of an impediment on a story like this is because you also have the backstories of a lot of the characters here. And you have multiple names for characters because characters go by different names. Because back then, if you moved to a different city, you could just change your name. And so you had those chunks too. And then you had to decipher what Reed's plan was, or not necessarily his plan, but what his deal was. It ends up that he doesn't really have the money that he says he has. He's in debt, all these different things. So there's that stuff going on. Plus, you're meeting all of these characters, and then you have these history lessons. So Jesse and Griffin don't get fleshed out as much as I would like them to be. Because at the end of the day, they're pretty boilerplate. Jesse is almost an infallible hero in a way. Mm-hmm. And Jesse is just the toughest nails woman who has the tragic backstory, which turns out to be Calico Bob, who was Joth's father, so Mildred's husband, is a bad guy, and he ends up taking Jesse with him with a group of guys and you know, basically taking her a few times. But that was he, that was done by Jesse's f- uh, father. Basically, gave her up to Calico Bob, and it shows the age of this, where Jesse's telling this story because Griffin didn't know the situation with Calico Bob. Everybody in the town called Jesse a whore, and it was because of this relationship with Calico Bob. And he wanted to get to the bottom of it. She tells him this story and he thinks about the father, Jesse's father, and saying, well, you know, I do respect the fact that he cared about his land enough to give up his daughter. But also that was fucked up. And it's like, "Mm, you can't respect a guy for that. Like, no offense. I know it's like back in the day and that might be how he thought. But I was like, oh, that really sticks out to me as something that you would never have in a romance now. Yeah, I'm sure. Where Griffin's so, he's like, well, you know, Dexter, which is Jesse's dad, uh, he's a good man, but that was kind of messed up. It's like, uh, he never took care of his kid. He wanted Jesse to be a boy, so treated her like a boy. Gave And then gave her up to a bunch of uh, bad guys to save his land. It's like... That's not a good dude. No, that's a very bad dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, And I would also say, for the book being called The Taming of Jesse Rose, I wanted her taming and coming around to take longer. Mm-hmm. Like, the pacing was very odd in that, like, he... Griffin shows up and... She's like, I don't want you to be here, but he ends up staying anyway. And then and then it seems like very quickly they're like making out and they're in a relationship. And there was never I kept expecting like a break, like a like a 90 percent breakup scene or something. Mm-hmm. But as far as like this being a romance novel, 
like they definitely fell in love, but there never seemed to be any real stakes. Or I'm not that there weren't stakes, but there never seemed to like there there never seemed to be stakes within their relationship, or there never seemed to be like they're really gonna have to overcome this this very big thing in order to be together. It seemed like they met, they found each other attractive. And so then they kind of started banging. And then they get married. And even the stuff with Reed, like losing the land does seem upsetting. But Blake has, uh, yeah, Griffin Blake has so much gold everywhere that I'm like, well, whatever. It's not like Jesse loves the land. It's more for her nephew, for Joth. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, even if they lose the land, it wasn't like I was like, how are they going to survive? Or they're really going to be messed up because of it. I was like, I don't know. I think they'll like probably she'll go back to teaching and and everything will be OK. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it, I just wanted it to be the taming of Jesse Rose. I just expected it to be more of like a slow burn. And I expected it to be for her to just be more ornery and for it to take a longer time i but it's also it's like i know you're not supposed to have these expectations going into a book because like you will be disappointed but i think i the central relationship was so like easy Mm -hmm. and there wasn't a lot else going on and a lot of the like saving of jesse's farm uh or the ranch happened because of all of the friends that griffin brought in yes that lived with him and so that was weird, too, because you kind of outsource all of this assistance, you know? And so then it doesn't even really feel like Blake is the one doing it, although he is the one who, in a card game, wins back all of the leases because everybody in the town has had to sell their land to read. And then he turns around and is um, charging everybody exorbitant, like, rent prices. Yeah, so basically that kind of happened by, like, happenstance. I don't know. It... it it, I had a hard time with this book, I must say. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think you are wrong to have higher expectations for a book called The Taming of Jesse Rose uh-huh. when it comes to her being, like you said, ornery or set in her ways or just harder to deal with than she is in this book. Because, like you said, they just start flirting. He flirts with her. She kind of pushes him aside, like, very briefly. Then he helps stop a cattle rustler. And as soon as he does that, she's like, I want you to stay. You're hot. Let's fuck. And that's 20% into the book. And then from that point on, they're, like, screwing. They're going up on the roof and, and hanging out. And then... Joth is is basically Griffin's son at this point. So it's it's it, it, like the only interruption there, the only thing that gets in their way is that he asks Jesse to marry him and she laughs, not because she wants to make fun of him. It's just she's so shocked that he would want to marry her because he's 26 and she's 32. So there is that age gap, the reverse age gap, which is cool. I like that. I'm into that. Yeah, me too. I thought that was great. Kind of like the Lost City thing with Channing Tatum being younger than Sandra Bullock but being in love with her. No spoiler. I don't think that's a spoiler. 
No. And who and wouldn't be in love with Sandra Bullock? That's also very believable. You gotta be. I mean, I like, yeah. I mean, pe- people, there's a lot of age gap discussion, but you like to see the older woman, younger man sometimes, as long as it's not ex- insanely crazy. But, you know, it's nice to see that. And so, yeah, there was no, there. yeah, there was no real impediment to their to their love. And then again, you, you nailed it with, it should have been them against the world. And when you bring in all his friends, it's, it's unfair because like you said, they outsource it. It's not, it doesn't put them in a position where we're the only people here who believe this. We need to be together to fight this. And that's what bonds us. It's like, oh, no, no, the terrible twins will take care of it. Ah, a preacher will take care of it. It's like, no, it can't be that way. The central romance needs to be what shines, and that has to create the tension. That's the thing, too. It's like once the central romance was basically put to bed at, like, 20%, then the thing carrying the story is read and the land and all that stuff. And it's like, that's just not why I'm here. You know what I mean? Like, it's not – I'm not here to read, like, a – just like a a Western about somebody stealing somebody's land. And also Reed gets so looks so pitiful fairly early on as mm-hmm. well. Yes. That I'm like, I don't believe that he can do anything. Like once he's lost all of the lease, all the deeds, I'm like, okay, then we're done. I don't understand why that we have to like continue like basically they want to get a confession out of him that he ordered the death of Jesse's father. Yes. Which he did. But it's hard. That's not enough for me to keep reading a romance novel. You know, I needed there to be romance. Yeah. I needed there to be, like, stress. Like, are they not going to make it out together? Or is, you know, and they're just, they're... There wasn't, and it just seemed like the two of them were also, like, fairly open with each other and with their emotions, which is healthy for them, you know, and I'm happy that they have that. But it's also, it's like, for me, I need, like, a little, like, a misunderstanding or somebody being nervous about something. And I think Jesse was nervous about telling Griffin that they, that she had basically been kidnapped by this gang for nine months or however long. But also, it's like, he was a bank robber, and at that stage... I didn't worry that that would make – I knew that Griffin would be fine with it. I, I was never worried that, like, oh, this could be the thing, you know? Yeah. That keeps them apart. So I was – because I read this book in Mexico, and on the way down, I watched uh, the, the Magnificent Seven, the remake with Denzel Washington. Oh, yeah. And Ethan Hawke and by what, – what's his name? Antoine – Fuqua. Fuqua. Um, anyway. And so I was like, oh, I was like really excited because I was like, oh, is this going to be like a Western like that? Like they're going to have to like defend this place and like put up all these traps everywhere and like have a big shootout or you know what I mean? And that didn't really happen. No, the you get end. Expectations. The- but like. I don't know. I just was like, I think I was so looking forward based what I thought this book was going to be based on like the blurb and the cover ended up being so drastically different. And it was just kind of like, oh, okay. The end is they somehow allow Reed to get a hold of Joth, which is crazy. And then he's going to try and escape on a horse. Snake eyes, right? 
who then bucks him off, he breaks his neck, and that's the end. The, that, that action is three paragraphs. Mm-hmm. It happens so quickly and so anticlimactically that I thought I missed something. Like, I laughed. I laughed out loud. I was reading this. You know where I read this? I finished reading this at that sculpture park that you told me about. Oh, in Astoria? Yes. Socrates? Yes. Yeah. I I walked down to that area, and by the way, I'd never been. It's like Vernon Boulevard. Yeah. I've never been there, and I'm like, oh, this is cool. I'm going to come here all the time. That's where I always go. When I lived in Astoria, I was always, I was always at the sculpture park. It's such it's a really cute, cute. It's such a cute area. Yeah, it's great. So anyway, so so that's one of those things though that will always remind me. So it's one of those things when you read this book, even though this book will probably not stay with me, that mm-hmm. moment and where I read it will kind of stay with me. Like anytime I go down there, I'll be like, oh, I remember I read the that book and that ending was so hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to make fun of it. I'm not, I'm not making fun of this book, but it's the abruptness. And we've had – that's happened in a, some books that we've read where, okay, we have to have something happen here. And you could tell the author's not – it doesn't really care so much about what happens. It just needs to get wrapped mm-hmm. up because they were interested in either the, the romantic aspect or, in this case, the historical aspect. So it was like, how do I wrap this up? Okay, yeah, thrown off a horse, breaks his neck. And yeah. so that, I think, it, it epitomizes this book in that I mm-hmm. think Beverly was very excited about the history – wanted to be able to get it out there to her readers and her milieu is romance. So she attempted to to show that history and 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 you know represent that history in a novel that would be consumed by the most people. And I don't think it worked. No, but I guess this is an interesting conversation too because it's like the the outsized burden that was placed on her as a black romance author versus a white romance author because obviously the vast majority of westerns that were written in the 90s or like kind of at any stage were by white women about white people and yep. nobody was ever saying this is historically inaccurate or there, there's no way this person lived in this place, you know? Where obviously we're just speculating, we don't know, but it that's what this book this book feels like a defense, you know, mm-hmm. um, and a defense of like, okay, there were towns that were made up of black people in Texas, which is now I think looking back, we can like it, it, presently in 2022, if somebody says that to you, you're like, yes, obviously, okay, <laughs> makes sense, you know, but I do. You know, if you do think back to the 90s when this was written, it probably was different. And there was a lot of erasure of people of color and sort of their history and what they were doing and where they were physically and all of those kinds of things that I understand that Beverly Jenkins probably had not probably, but seem to have and be responding to having this kind of undue burden of not only just telling a story, but also having to kind of defend that story as you're telling it, which is just exhausting and a bummer. And obviously Beverly Jenkins is one of the greatest romance authors writing. Mm -hmm. And, and 
uh, this book is not emblematic of that. <laughs> of that. Uh, and obviously, we're going to continue to read Beverly Jenkins books because there are so many out there that you guys have requested. But it was interesting to read this one and think about that, especially, you know, we don't talk a ton about current events, but kind of like everything that's happening right now with the erasure of of people of color in this country and things like that. It's it's interesting to to read that with that frame of mind. And it is for lack of a better word, like a huge bummer. <laughs> it's not great, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, and you're right. We do have the privilege of reading this book in a time where more authors of color are getting published mm-hmm. and the conversation is happening about these sort of topics. But even now, I think you could probably ask somebody who lived where I used to live when I grew up if there was black people in the West and they'd say... Uh, no blazing saddles you know it's like that's that's the thing it's like they're what they're not being educated i wasn't educated at the time i'm sure if i read this at the age i would have been in 1999 Mm -hmm. i will not disclose that age but you were just born i was just born yes exactly Mm -hmm. that if the doctor slapped me on the butt and handed (laughs) me this book i would i would have thought oh i didn't know any of this Mm-hmm. And and I didn't know a lot of this. Like, that's the thing is, like, I, I did not know a lot of the things that she talks about in this book. But, again, it wasn't done elegantly in a narrative. And I think, like you said, we can't be harsh about that because at the time and still now, it's like she has to defend what she writes. And that sucks. Yes. And I will say reading more contemporarily written historical novels um, that feature people of color. Like I've talked about having just finished Diana Quincy's um, trilogy, uh, most recent trilogy, which is fantastic, but features uh, Palestinian heroes, uh, hero and Palestinian heroines is that seems to have lifted a little bit. There isn't the same burden, which I think is has probably a lot to do with women like Beverly Jenkins and and others who did this work early on and have been doing, you know, writing these for years. And, um, you know, so I don't want to, I don't ever want to come off as though we're like knocking her for this. But I will say it's like if you're reading the book just as a pure book reading experience. The history is very interesting, but you do want more of the story, but also within the context of what it was written, I understand why you had to do this. But Well, here's the big yeah. question. Huh. Would you fuck them? Yes. I mean, they were both incredibly sexy. And I will say the sex scenes in this book are phenomenal. Yes, they're great. They're great. So, so good, like so much passion, like really top-notch sex scenes yes so um right. uh, yeah both of them of course what about you oh yeah both of them 100 mm-hmm. percent. yeah keep that denim shirt on jesse <laughs> i know you look like a girl in pants Ugh. and there's something about just like and and whenever there's a western and it's just like this outlaw man coming upon this woman who has been under siege at her home and she's been protecting it herself like put it in my veins 
Every mm-hmm. single time I want to read it. It's like one of my favorite tropes. I don't know what it is like under siege. I don't know what the trope is, but like it's so good. Protecting. I think it's because you, 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 I don't want to psychoanalyze you because I have no expertise, but you really no, love, you, you, you like a home, you like a nest, mm-hmm. you like a place to call your own. Mm-hmm. And so I think the idea of, having to protect something like that like you would do that you want to protect your home at all costs mm-hmm. and so you like to see when a heroine does that yeah yeah there's something about it and i think there's something about like the idea of <clears throat> and obviously we're talking about like heterosexual relationships and stuff but like when it, the heroine has been protecting it by herself for so long and then the hero comes and just like helps her just mm-hmm. the idea of like, oh, there's somebody else here to help me. I yes. don't have to do this alone. Like that is so great. Like it's it's a wonderful trope. It's so fun. So want to do Goodreads? Let's do Goodreads list. So not on a ton of lists. I will say this is like a lesser known title of, of Beverly Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Um, we picked it because the cover was so good and we couldn't give it up. But um, so, yeah, so not on a ton of lists. But uh, the first list is African-American historical romance. Yes. Historical fiction with uh, POC. Uh-huh. Black heroines and historical romance. Yep. Sexy westerns. Yeah. That's yeah. The, all tracks. All tracks. It is a very sexy western in that there's a lot of great sex scenes. But, like, I, you know... I, I think I just need more angst. I'm a I'm an angsty person at heart, so. Yeah. But for just quality of sex scenes, 100%. Um, all right, Clayton, what are your tropes? Western. Hero is younger than heroine, which is, mm-hmm. is rare. Posse. Because, like, he, he basically has a, a posse at a point. Mm-hmm. With all his buddies, that's fu- that felt very magnificent seven esque. Yes, you know, kids in romance. Joth didn't annoy me. Pretty cool kid. Joth was cool. Yeah, yeah. And I guess what what would it be like? The evil landowner is is yeah. a trope too. The guy who mm-hmm. just wants all the land, which is what Reed would be. Yeah, his his game was like to buy up all the land and then sell it to the railroad and then resell the surplus land. Mm-hmm. Anyway. And then criminal hero, which he mm-hmm. he is a robber. He's a bank robber because his mother died and he blamed the bank though I mean not a bank robber, he's a rail he's a train robber because yes. he blames the trains for his mother's death. Yes. Aaron, what are your tropes? So I have Age Gap, Western, Heroin Older Than Hero, Under Siege, which I guess is the the trope, but I'm going to keep thinking of a better name for that. Mm-hmm. Outlaw Hero, Teacher Heroine. She had been a teacher. Yes. And she should go back to being a teacher because she seemed to be very good at it. Oh, yeah. H- yeah. History Lessons, because there are a lot of history lessons. We've really talked about that in, to death. Um, yes. And then Women in Pants. Oh, how did I miss that one? Women in Pants are my favorites. (laughs) Um, Clayton, what has you swooning this week? Well, it's finally here, everyone. Real World Homecoming, New Orleans. (laughs) 
no. When did it start? Oh, last week. And <sighs> so they, on Paramount Plus, they dropped the original New Orleans season, which was in 2000. Mm-hmm. And that season had Julie the Mormon Girl. She would hate yeah. if I if I summed her up like that, but that's who she was on the original Real World. Mm-hmm. Melissa, who was the funniest person to ever be on Real World, one hundred percent, nobody funnier. And, and then you had Danny, who was the uh, there had been gay men before on the show, but he was a guy who was dating someone in the military. They had to blank out his face because of no, don't ask, don't tell. And so many, so many great characters on that season. Oh, I mean, uh, David, come on, be my baby tonight. I mean, (laughs) it's a classic season. So they dropped that season before the reunion, which is Homecoming is basically a reunion where the old cast come back together. They weren't able to be in the same place in New Orleans, the same house. So they have a different house. But the first episode... It's this is going to be an awesome season because Homecoming New York, which was the first one, was fun, but there was some heavy stuff going on there. L.A. was a absolute shit show. It was misery porn. Mm -hmm. Unless you have any sort of affinity for any of those L.A. cast, do not watch that season. It'll only make you feel bad about everything. I don't even remember anybody from L.A. L.A. was John, the the guy with the cowboy hat. He was the singer. He was the cowboy Wait, was singer. That, that was L.A. I thought that was San Francisco. No, no. San Francisco was Puck. And Pedro. And Pedro. Um. Okay, sorry. And, and Rachel. So You know, I don't know why I'm asking you these questions. I remember John. Yeah. Yeah. So New Orleans Homecoming, it is – the first episode was great. It feels like it's going to be nuts. Julie is a sloppy mess, and I can't wait. I can't wait. I I can't wait. So that's what I'm swooning about. God. I loved Melissa, and she had, like, one of the first, like, blog spot blogs. Mm -hmm. Like, And I remember she she would just write randomly, and I would read it constantly. And her husband at the time, her boyfriend at the time, was, like, a DJ or something, and the, I remember she always talked about going to Misfits. Do you remember that? Like, oh yes. Party? <laughs> um, and I, uh, oh yeah, she would always go through her like bathing routine, and I was like, "This is what you got to do." I am obsessed with her. I'm. I can't believe that I missed that this started because New Orleans, I think, is is no New Orleans is my favorite season. Yeah, it's not and, my it's not my yeah. favorite, but it's one of my favorites. She, oh god and then she went into all the how like because she and julie were friends and then she went into like in depth why she and julie were feuding and what she felt like julie did to her and stuff and it was so good she did that on a it. challenge they show that clip and they talk uh-huh. about what julie did and it's and it's pretty fucked yeah yeah it's messed up oh so. cool all right i can't wait to watch that like i have so much to watch guys we should just try to get melissa on the show if she would come, we wouldn't even have to talk about romance. I would talk about whatever she wanted to talk about. <laughs> yeah, we'd just tie it in very loosely somehow. Yeah. Although, who knows? Maybe she's a romance reader. Maybe she's a listener. Who Could be. Could be. Melissa, if you listen. <laughs> we are on obsessed the pod. with you. Yeah. She's, yeah, she's the best. 
She was so great. Um, so, Aaron, what has you swooning? So I feel like I talked about Magnificent Seven by Antoine Fuqua like a few times in this episode. So I do want to just say like if you haven't seen that because I feel like it didn't hit as hard as I thought it would. Like I thought it was going to be nominated for like every Oscar. <laughs> I loved that movie so much. I also am partial to Westerns as we've established. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just a really, really fun movie if you haven't seen it. Um, but the other thing that I want to swoon about is a TV show on HBO Max called Our Flag Means Death, which is a show um, starring, now I can't remember his name, but the New Zealand actor. Taika uh, Waititi? Who, not Taika. He's, yes. He, he stars as Blackbeard, but then the other one, the redheaded guy who was also in like Flight of the Concords. Anyway. As a, like a gentleman pirate, so basically as this man who has a lot of money and decides to become a pirate kind of out of nowhere and abandons his family to do so. Um, and it's based like obviously so loosely on a true story of this actual person named Steed Bonnet. Um, it's created and written by David Jenkins, um, Reese Darby. I was. Yeah. I kept wanting to say Reed Darcy, and I was like, "No, that's the villain in the book we just read." Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and it's it's a it's a really beautiful show. I know we've talked about it in the troupe already, and I know a lot of you guys are already huge fans. But if if you if it somehow missed you, don't let it. It's really fun. It's really beautiful. It's a love story, uh, which I don't. Is it a spoiler? I think I think at this stage people are probably know about it between Reese Darby and Taika Waititi. It's um. Uh, between Steed Bonnet and Blackbeard. I I am very sure it's going to be uh, renewed for season two. It's a half hour every episode, which is a great length for TV shows. Oh, it's gotta be. <laughs> and But it's it's really funny. It's really well done. It's really heartwarming. Um, it's, it's a really a beautifully written and acted show. And I would uh, wholeheartedly recommend it. Great. Yeah. All right. Well, Aaron, where can they find us? So if you guys haven't had a chance yet, if you could just rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts, um, it's how people find us. It's, it's super helpful if you guys uh, can do that. Um, we said we're on Patreon. We have a ton of content there. I must say, we keep talking about my friend Claire, um, but when she signed up for the Patreon, she started texting me. She's like, oh, you guys did this on there and you guys did that on there. She's like, oh, this is amazing. She's like, I wish I had signed up weeks oh, ago. So listen. Cool. Don't make Claire's mistake. Uh, If you are interested, come over, sign up on the Patreon. It's $5 a month. Um, You'll get a sticker after three months and and access to all of the content, including um, early access to our Bridgerton episodes. Uh, If you want to email us your thoughts about anything or to suggest a book, you can always email us at learningthetropespodcast at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at Learning Tropes, on Instagram at Learning the Tropes. We have our Facebook troop, the Learning the Tropes troop. You can come join us there. We have discussions about the books. We have this very ongoing long post about different biggie authors that we need to talk about. Yeah, so come join us over there. Uh, And then finally, we have merch, which is linked below. Yes. And is that it? Do we have anything else? No, that's it. All right. Well, thanks so much, guys, for listening. And as always, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.